Welcome back to another episode of the Minds with Hakeem podcast. I am your host, Juwan Hakeem, and I'm here with a very special guest today, um, director of the Beacon, professional speaker or public speaker, should I say, and many more titles that you guys get to learn about. But Melissa Vaughn, how's it going today? It's going great. Thanks so much for having me here, Juwan. No, thank you for having for actually being on this podcast. Um, I met you at a speaking engagement you had for uh, Black Excellence, mm-hmm. and you was sharing about the Beacon, and I was like, yo, I got to dive in. I want to learn more. And then we <laughs> had grab lunch and kind of just talked about things, and I was like, yes, I have to get her on the podcast. I'm excited. So thank you so much for coming on to the Minds What I Came podcast and giving us what you got. Oh, I always love an opportunity to talk about my passions <laughs> and to spend time with you, John. Absolutely. I appreciate that. So the icebreaker question that I have for you today is, what was the last thing that you absolutely enjoyed doing that cost you absolutely nothing? That is such a good question. And I'm going to go with, I had a late night conversation last night with my teenage boys. Mm. And watching them put together the pieces of how the world works, how mm. relationships work, um, how boundaries work. Uh, <laughs> it's exciting as a yeah. parent. They're um, 18 and 17, and to see things clicking together is uh, very rewarding. Mm, that is, you know, I'm stepping into parenthood, so I get passionate <laughs> about that. And we're having a boy, so I'm excited to mm. see what they bring. And I know they come with a lot of joys, but I know the challenges are real. Oh, it's hard. But <laughs> to hear you just speak about that, having that heart-to-heart with the boys and how many? You have three. I three, have four, four boys. Okay, I okay. Know. They I just thought, keep coming. Uh, yeah, I couldn't remember. Uh, it was three <laughs> or four, and the youngest is in middle school, right? He's almost 13, so he'll be in eighth grade. And then you're I, doing my, it. my oldest just graduated high school, so. You're doing it, and that that's amazing. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I could talk about kids all day. I need to transition. So, <laughs> all right. So, I want to start this conversation off first and foremost about the beacon and what you have going. But before we get into that, we got to know who Melissa is. We got to know how you got there. So, tell us a little bit about your story, your upbringing, kind of like what led you to be leading and helping and serving in these these ladies' lives at the beacon now. Absolutely happy to share. Uh, So I uh, grew up in an abusive home Mm -hmm. and then I got married very young to someone who was also abusive. And in both cases, things looked good on the outside Mm. and I really mastered the craft of denial Mm. (laughs) and wanting to believe that I was in a good family and creating a good family and, um, but then something just not feeling right on the inside. Right. And so um, you know, as domestic violence goes, things escalated over time, and um, that that cycle, which involves wooing and then tension building and then acting out, right? And and when you start to pull away, mm-hmm. uh, when an abuser acts out, then they return to that wooing mm. phase. So that oh, I'm so sorry. I'm gonna read the books. I'm gonna change. I'm gonna, oh yeah, yeah, I'm gonna get you flowers and blah, blah, blah. and so it keeps you in this um, constant state of confusion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then when you're in those other phases, you're thinking back to the wooing phase and being like, I know this person is capable of being like that. Mm. And and so then you're just you're hooked, right? But over time, that cycle um, it starts spinning faster, and the lows start getting lower, and the highs don't get quite as high. So mm. um, it, it breaks you down over time. And I was in a position where um, my beliefs were telling me that divorce was wrong. Um, but my experience was telling me that, um, in my body, I was feeling something that, um, just did not 
seem right. And so I had this cognitive dissonance in my head between what I believed and what I was experiencing. And eventually those two things could no longer exist in one Mm. brain. And there was an implosion. um, And I chose to go with my intuition. Mm -hmm. And at the time when I separated from my husband, I felt so guilty. I thought I was Mm. doing something wrong. I'm like, God's going to strike me down. Um, And I just thought for sure that, um, you know, that I was stepping out of line. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'd been such a rule follower and Mm -hmm. so religious and, and so, um, such a leader in Mm -hmm. those religious circles. And so to get to this place where, um, you know, my church rejected me, Mm. um, you know, they're telling me you need to repent, you're in sin. Um, and, uh, when I separated, I mean, I lost pretty much everything. Um, and so overnight, went from being this wealthy business owner with lots of respect in my social circles and the happy looking family Mm -hmm. to absolute poverty. Um, no money in my bank account, Mm -hmm. no job, no resume. I'd been a stay at home homeschooling mom for Mm -hmm. 10 years. Um, and I'd lost almost all of my friends to a, to a single mother of (laughs) four boys. So I want to talk a little bit about losing that community. Those people who you thought were your friends, who you thought Mm. trusted you, how did you get out of that? And like, are you are you still processing that today? Or you completely mm. moved past that? I will say this. I never really experienced much anger toward them. And I think it's primarily because I was one of them. Right? Absolutely. So when you're in that environment and your leaders are telling you, this is what God says, and you honestly believe mm. that by holding people accountable to what you believe God would hold you accountable to, mm-hmm. you believe you're doing the work of God, right? And so, and and as a woman in that environment, um, the only way to have power is by following those rules really, really mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. and um, holding, you know, the white men in charge in high esteem. And But it's not real power because it can be taken away at any yeah. moment as I Absolutely. experienced, right? Um, and so I gained my power, my social power, through being a rule follower and through uh, taking everything to the extreme. I mean, memorizing large portions mm. of the Bible, working with refugees and international students and Sunday school and, um, you know, homeschooling and, and helping with my husband's business and doing everything that, um, that I thought, you know, God wanted me to do. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so... Honestly, like if another woman went and actually it did happen when other women took the step that I took, Mm -hmm. I also rejected them. So it wouldn't really be fair for me to uh, be angry at these people because I did the same thing. Like that's, that's how you had power in that environment was you you had to keep all those rules and that structure and that, and those power dynamics in place because your whole belief system was built on that. Mm -hmm. Your entire sense of self worth and value in the world was built on that scaffolding. And so if you take that down, that's like taking out the bottom piece of the Mm -hmm. Jenga, like the whole thing's going to fall down. So, uh, you know, and so that, yeah. It really pains me to see that like, Trying to hold that perfection. I think America has boasted perfection, perfectionism, especially when it comes to religion. Mm-hmm. It really pains me that because scripture tells us like everyone will fall short of the glory, but we have these. I feel like we lose humanity a lot. Like in like I'm looking at your situation and I'm looking at your the the Christian culture that you was in. I feel like we lose the aspect of humanity a lot. Mm. When we trying to follow and check these boxes, mm-hmm. which is not the call. It's it was really hard when you shared that with me. I was just like blown away by that. Like mm. how you was able to overcome all of those things too was very liberating for me. But I was just like 
I can imagine feeling what she experienced. Mm. Like you're so resilient for that. So oh, appreciate you, you for sharing that. Thank for you. Sure. Thank you. And, and uh, honestly, like having that, I think having something so extreme happen mm-hmm. is what really caused me to have that paradigm shift. Yep. If I yep. would have had a mildly uncomfortable adult life, <laughs> I'm not sure I would have had the paradigm shift for sure. that I did. So when you're, when everything you believe your value is built on is just stripped away from you, you go on this, you know, a dark night of the soul, right? The yes. search for where does my value come from? Mm-hmm. And I had to transition from my value coming from something performance-based and that others, I needed others' approval for to something that came from within me and, mm. and that it's this ground that we're all planted on and we all have the same unchanging intrinsic value that is not dependent on our performance or our character even. Absolutely. Did not mean to cut you off in um, your story when you got to the aspect of losing your community. Community is super important to me. So you can um, pick back up where you left off when you were saying those people like you, those people walked away from you and how hard you was going through that and how you had to deal with that. Well, and I think part of it, too, is important to point out that I was in a church with a white Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. And we know mm-hmm. that there's a lot more. um focus on performance and power, Mm -hmm. um, in those spaces than, you know, maybe, um, what some of my, um, black friends would have experienced in their churches. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so I, uh, yeah, I just, I hit bottom. It was, it was really, really hard. I had no idea what I was walking into. Mm. And, and if I were to, (laughs) if I would have known, I don't know, you know, of course, I would still do it, but so would you have stayed if you didn't know? <laughs> I, I don't I'm gonna ask. I, no, I wouldn't have. I, but I think it's probably good that I didn't know what was ahead. I just assumed, and I didn't really know anyone who'd gotten divorced. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I just assumed when you get divorced, you split everything in half and you yep. go on your way, right? Yeah. Um, but if but there's money involved in everything, right? And so if I had nothing in my bank account, mm. um, and I had no access to the financials from our businesses that we were running, even though I had participated in running those and growing those businesses, I didn't have access to those funds. Mm. And so you can hide money well in business. You sure can. (laughs) So the discrepancy between the lawyer that he was working with that compared to what I was working with and you know, our capacity to, you know, I couldn't afford to go to court. Mm. I, you know, I had, yeah, very limited resources and I learned very quickly um, that I was not going to be going away with half. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty rough. So I took what I had and I put it as a down payment on a house. Mm. And I said, at least if I have no money, I can start building some equity. I can start somewhere. Yeah. Um, and then I finished my master's in counseling. Mm. So I, but my first job, like literally overnight was like, okay, I got to get something just to get some sort of income, right? So I started checking groceries at Hy-Vee for $8.50 an hour. And I'm in this small wow. town, like I'm in Grinnell, right? And yep. so people know us. We had just been on stage a couple months prior getting this service business of the year award. Yep, and now yep. people are walking through and I'm checking their groceries. Hey like, Wait, what's going <laughs> yeah. on? Um, and so, you know, very, very humbling experience. Mm. Um, and I'd never been poor before. So that was a new space for me. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, yeah, like... Uh, I'm doing that for a couple, I think I did that for a couple months and then I got my first job in nonprofit. I was working as a victim advocate for victims of domestic violence and sexual assault and actually learned a lot about myself and my own journey through that job. Um, They did a really good job of training and educating us. That's good. I was learning right along with my clients. Um, But then when I finished my master's, I began working as a therapist and yeah, about a year after our divorce, um, he just stopped paying child support. Mm. And as a student therapist, you know, you're not making a whole lot. So 
I, I fought it for like a year with this pro bono lawyer and I wasn't getting anywhere. And, um, that's a whole nother story, but I decided, you know what? I am having, carrying so much emotional weight Mm. from this process. What if instead of putting my emotional energy into trying to make this right, make Mm -hmm. this just, what Mm -hmm. if I put that energy into trying to find other sources of income? And so that's when I started getting into business and I started a business. My first business actually was losing money. Mm. So then I got more poor. I was taking this. That's how business goes. Very small income that I had. Yeah. And I was also using that income to pay for this business that was yes. leaking money. Mm-hmm. And and that's the thing. I had to fail fast, yeah. right? Because I didn't know what I was. I mean, I lived a very sheltered life. I hadn't mm-hmm. left the home a whole lot. I had no, like, not really career experience. But and- I think that speaks more to your resilience. It's like we forget, especially as we age and mature. That failure is a part of the process and a part of learning. And we're so scared of failure. That's Mm -hmm. why we never take. I'm literally inspired by that. But yeah, go ahead. Thank you. Well, certainly it brings up a lot of shame. And I had to learn how to sit in shame Mm -hmm. and not run from it. And, uh, you know, growing up in the environment that I did and the perfectionism that I carried, like I was so resistant to shame and going Mm. through the divorce and losing friends and and being poor Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. having my business fail. I I got lots of experience sitting in shame. (laughs) That's where you uh, get humbled at (laughs) quickly. I mean, you're just going there like, oh my gosh, what did I do to mess up my life in this way? (laughs) Um, And so, so after a year of having that first business open, I started, I started another business. I closed that business. I I sold it at Mm -hmm. a loss, I should say. Um, And so recovered some, but you know, not certainly what I put into it. Um, And then I, the second business that I started did um, produce more income. And so that was really helpful to kind of getting back on my feet and getting the business loan paid off from the first one. Um, And then you know, then I finished my LMHC, you know, letters. So then you're able to make a little bit more doing that. We moved to Des Moines. Um, and I was also doing all of these like side hustles along mm. the way, right? Like I was in commercials and I would do brand ambassador work yeah. and I was putting my house on Airbnb. Cause I'm like, what's an asset that I do have? Well, I own this house. Yep. So when my kids were at their dad's, I would like rent it out, mm-hmm. you know, pack up everything, wash the sheets and towels, yep, yep, yep. head out for the weekend, mm-hmm. come back on Monday, yep. wash everything, it put it all back. <laughs> it was so exhausting because I was also working as a therapist and running Ooh. a business. Yep. So it, it was just, I can't even describe, I, I could, I don't think I could go back to that time even yeah. if I tried. It was just so intense, yeah. but it was just surviving, right? Um, and so, yeah, so I got to this point where, you know, we're, we moved to Des Moines, I'm in a better place financially, and I'm about to purchase a larger business when the pandemic hit. And so then that's when um, this job that I'm at now at the Beacon, mm-hmm. a friend mentioned to me um, that this position executive director was open at the Beacon. Mm. And all right, now, welcome back, guys. I do apologize about um, the noise that you've experienced experiencing in the first half of this episode we are at overflow house you know where the studio is and on mondays we serve meals so now it'll be a little bit more quiet but melissa let's jump back in all right all right you was you were starting out around the beacon and getting to that part so let's pick up there and then i'll dive in when i have to <laughs> okay so yeah never pictured myself running a nonprofit. 
uh, did not think I was going to be hired for the job. Mm-hmm. Um, I said to them, I've, you know, not written grants before. I've not done fundraising before. Um, <laughs> and uh, I've not run a nonprofit before. <laughs> and, you know, they, they saw something in me that I didn't yet see in myself. Mm-hmm. And there's so much value in um, taking, you know, I think oftentimes we will see something in someone else and encourage Mm -hmm. that. And they're often resistant to Mm -hmm. it. But when you're on the receiving end of that, to just be open to that, because there are people that are ahead of us in some way in their journey. And when they see something in you, believe them. Yeah. You know, believe them. And so they mentored me where I had gaps. The board board of directors at the time um, provided a lot of support for me to kind of fill in those gaps. And also I'm, I'm, pretty ambitious person. So I was reading books, excited to learn. And, and so, um, and I was super passionate about the beacon itself. And Mm -hmm. I think that shown through, you know, when I was meeting with them, so where you work with women coming out of trauma. So, Mm. you know, very familiar story, right? Um, I will say though, here's the difference. So when I hit bottom, um, because I am a white middle-class straight woman, Mm -hmm. um, able-bodied, you know, I could see the path forward to get out of poverty, to put my life back together, to build community. You saw the route. I did. And I, because I'd been on it before. Mm -hmm. Right. And so all I had to do was figure out how to get back to that road Mm -hmm. and then build from there. Whereas the women we work with at the beacon, right. We're talking generational poverty, Mm. um, growing up in communities of color that are, you know, have been redlined, historically redlined and have less access to resources and, and supportive services. And we've got people in the LGBTQ community, people with multiple disabilities, whether it be mental, physical, uh, mental illness, substance use disorders, right? So these are women who grew up with very different circumstances than Mm -hmm. me. So when they hit bottom, they don't see that path, right? And, you know, it's this idea that you can't just say, oh, we'll just go, you know, just go do this, go get a job, go get a master's, right? Like Mm -hmm. all of the things that I did, I knew how to keep my credit score high. I knew how to stay out of debt. Mm -hmm. I could walk into a bank and I still had nice clothes and white skin. And I knew what to say to a banker to get a loan. You're getting improved. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I looked middle-class. I looked like I belonged. Right. And so, you know, um, while I acknowledge that what I went through was really difficult, I also want to make space to say, it really, <laughs> I came into that situation with a lot of privilege and mm. it was nothing compared to what the women that we ha- serve at the beacon, what, what their bottom looks like. So I want to jump in there because we is actually just having a conversation as we was waiting for the noise to clear. Like you seeing that route and understanding that just because of the things you learned and just because of your mm-hmm. color of skin and now you're working with people who, didn't have those privileges as much. Mm-hmm. And when they hit bottom, like you said, there's no route. Their mindset is completely gone. So if you try to get them to, oh, just learn a new skill, they're not trying to hear that because they can't see mm-hmm. that. How do you, you and your team, sorry, how do you guys like find accountability in that program mm-hmm. for them? Like, cause like when, when you live in that and I grew up in that, so I know how I still have family members that operate in that space. It's no accountability they want it. So how do your program paint that picture for them? So I think of the two pillars of both empathy and accountability. Mm-hmm. So empathy says, we're not here to say what's wrong with you. Mm. We're here to say what happened to you. Mm. How did you get to the space and how did these systems affect you to where you are now that you're carrying all of this trauma, both systems based trauma and family based individual based trauma into this situation and Mm -hmm. how can we provide support and care and dignity around that? 
then there's also this piece of accountability that says, hey, we care about you so much and we know these are your goals and we want to help to see you succeed. You have to respect their autonomy in that process, Mm. right? So what they do is they're working with a case manager and then as they go through our program, they go to mental health counseling. They go to at least three recovery meetings or events per week. Mm. They take a class that addresses some of the social, emotional learning and health um, and then they do, there are all kinds of other things they can do optional, like parenting class oh, or, nice. you know, healthy relationships, like all kinds of, um, access to supports. So we also do financial literacy coaching through nice. LK Davis center and, um, career planning, career development. So we're looking at the holistic picture of women's health mm-hmm. because we know it's not just about getting a job. It's not just about getting housing. It's not just about getting sober. Yep. You need to experience wellness in all of these different areas, intellectual, emotional, social, physical, spiritual, all of those areas, you know, addressing all those. And so I, I agree with you a hundred percent. Cause like you even see this in the prison system still to this day where people get out of prison and they drop them right back in the same neighborhood mm-hmm. with the same challenges. What you think they're going to do, they're going right. to revert back. So I love the fact that y'all focus on them in totality, like not just one part, yeah. just in total. So yeah, and and the number one thing that we can do is to treat people with dignity. Absolutely. I mean, the women we work with, we're talking domestic violence, we're talking, you know, prison system, we're mm-hmm. talking. They have not been treated with dignity, and so I think that's the most powerful thing that we can do is to yes. not be condescending and to not continue those. Um, just ways of interacting mm-hmm. with them because these are the folks that have the least amount of social power in our culture. Mm-hmm. And so it's really easy when you're with someone who has less social power than you to take out your shame issues mm. on that person because they can't fight back for that. Right. Yeah. And so the less social power you have, the more people that are dumping their shame issues on you. Uh, and so I say, you know what, if you want to know what someone's true character is, mm-hmm. ask someone who lives at the beacon, nobody's trying to impress them. No, nobody's trying to flatter them. They get to see who people really are. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, uh, yeah. And I learned so much from them. (laughs) Yeah. No. And and it's funny you say that because me and my wife was just allies at Change Course, which is a very similar program to yours. They focus on out of prison and poverty, people Mm -hmm. in poverty as well. I would say that was the bulk of the people in that first set. They call them leaders in their program. Um, And we went there to help and be allies and we had family night once a week Mm -hmm. and it was so fun, so much fun for me and my wife, but we figured out and we realized at the end, we're actually learning more from them (laughs) than we're giving. Like, why am I coming here to take from these people? I need to be helping. But it's, it's a beautiful thing about relationships and listening and treating people Uh as equals. Uh So, yeah. And I mean, it just, all of the stereotypes and stigma around, you know, these mm-hmm. women at the beacon, like you, you go to work there every day and it's just blown away. I mean, mm. these women work harder than most middle and upper class people that I know. So yeah. many of them are up at four o'clock, four thirty in the morning, getting mm. on the bus, getting to work. Cause it takes a while to get to where you're Absolutely. going and they're working jobs. Most people would not want to work and, and they work so hard sometimes two jobs. Um, and they are dealing with parole and DHS and, you know, trying to get to counseling and get to the recovery meetings. And they're, they're, doing so much hard Up work battle oh gosh so Up much hard work battle. and they don't have access to you know nice cars and with attached garages and yoga classes and, and <laughs> mental health at, like, at will besides what what they have in the in the beacon which is awesome but like so. yeah it's it's you know if i have a rough day like 
I can I can order food, right? And mm-hmm. I could go to a yoga class or I could plan a vacation. And yep. when you're in poverty, that's just that's not That's just not your reality. It's not an option, right? Mm. And so um anyway, so you know, when women first come to the beacon, they're typically coming directly from prison and they walk through our doors. They've got mm-hmm. their head down. Yeah. <laughs> and they're, you know, nervous to talk to people. They've got a lot of anxiety coming into the space. They don't trust people easily, understandably. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just see them transform, right? Yep. Our program is a minimum of six months. And so, you know, as they're graduating from the program and they're mm-hmm. getting ready to move out, they are coming into the lobby and they are laughing and they're excited and they're sharing about what the apartment they're moving into. Yeah. And yeah. their disposition has just changed yep. completely. And so we get to see every day the power of healing and providing support. And here's the thing, like, most people in poverty do not want to be mm. in poverty. Nope. But if you don't know how to get on the road out. You don't see that route. Right. You don't see it. Um, do you see any deep relationships and friendships come from the beacon? From not only people in the program, but like staff with people that they're serving and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, you've got to have some boundaries, right? Cause it's professionalism, Absolutely. Uh, but of course, of yeah. course we're humans, right? We're wired mm-hmm. for connection. And so I think that's an important part that we see our clients almost relive the childhood. They never got to experience mm. because they were in survival mode. They were trying yep. to protect siblings from an intoxicated parent, or they had parents mm. missing who were gone for the night or they were in prison or uh, maybe there was some violence they had to, you know, they had to figure out food. Like they were not just getting to play and have fun Absolutely. and enjoy their childhood. Right. And so we see them like in sometimes some ways, like express the kind of excitement that, you know, in a childlike way, like when they get a new job or they got a promotion or they um, phased up in our program. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. getting to share that with them, just like a parent would with their child. And I, it heals something in their brain. Yes. Yes, they're nurturing. And mm-hmm. I asked that too because, like, it's a little different from these ladies because when they're in the beacon, all of them live on campus, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, the right program, now. Yeah, right now, right now. But more to pro- come. More, we'll get there. <laughs> I promise you, we'll get there. We know we got, we, we need people to dig in them pockets. Uh, but uh, no, hey, it's for anything for a good cause. I'm pushing it. Uh, but these people at Change Course, these leaders, they wasn't like stand on campus, but we started to see leaders in the program. Oh, help others out, like with mm-hmm. rides to work, or mm-hmm. uh, do things outside of change course that's not structured. Yes. And I was like, whoa, they building a sense of community, and yep. I know how important community mm-hmm. is to an individual, not mm-hmm. just like men or women or whatever. Everybody mm-hmm. needs community, so they were starting to build that on their own. It was really cool to see. Yes, and that's like our clients, they they create family within themselves, mm-hmm. right? And so they meet every week for house meetings and mm-hmm. they cheer each other on and they encourage each other and nice. they share, here's what I'm seeing, here's how I'm seeing you change, and they clap for each other. And um, it, it really, for a lot of them, it's the first time they've really had family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we say the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The adop- opposite of addiction is connection. Yes, connection. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people, we run this, we run around earth all day looking to be accepted and connected with others Mm -hmm. so that's beautiful i like that i'm gonna have to steal that one um you guys heard it here first so all right so how long have you been at the beacon i think i missed that part three years yesterday so hold up which one was hand claps that's not hand claps (laughs) that's laughs I need my own system back. I was trying to get you hand claps, but congrats on three years. You Thank that's you. another th- thing that you don't see in today's world. People stand at stand at nonprofits <laughs> or organizations for a long period of time anymore. They just up and out. But um 
as far as you being at the Beacon and being a director and building that team up there and also probably joining people who's already on that team, what has been the most fulfilling part about mm. your uh, time at the Beacon? So I am a systems change person. Mm. So I care a lot about individuals and I love to see individuals change. Mm-hmm. Um, but my heartbeat is like, how can we change the system so that we are not incarcerating women because they have substance use disorders, mm. mental illness, and a history of trauma and poverty. Yeah. And so rather than just working with women as they're coming out of the prison, how can we intercept earlier in the process? I love that. And so after I've been at the Beacon for about a year, year and a half, I started asking big questions, right? Like, why do we even have this prison system in place? You know, mm-hmm. um, if over half of the people in prison are there for a nonviolent offense, we know a lot of those folks would benefit from support rather yep. than punishment. Yep. And another interesting statistic is that 5% of the world's women live in the United States, but 30% of the world's incarcerated women are in the United States. Wow. 30%, almost a third in the whole world Hmm. right here in the U.S. And it started when we did the crackdown, the war on drugs, right? That disproportionately impacted women and people of color. Absolutely. And so what we're seeing is just these exponential growth in Mm -hmm. the prison system for those communities. And so, you know, what it was like, what it would look like if we intercepted earlier in the Mm -hmm. process. And I wanted to understand more. I wanted to get a seat at the table, access to those spaces where we're having conversations about the criminal justice Mm. system. I last minute took the LSAT. (laughs) (laughs) Last minute. Wow. (laughs) And it went well. And Mm -hmm. so Drake Law offered me a full ride. And I'm so thankful. I have no intention necessarily of practicing law, mm-hmm. um, but I just... Um, understanding. <laughs> I, it gave me access to, you know, and especially as a woman, right? Like sometimes yep. you have to have the credentials to have a seat at the table. And so I, now we are um, actually right now launching jail diversion, mm. which is the thing I'm most excited about since we got to the beacon. Um, there's a lot of other things I'm excited no, about. For sure. But for like sure. that one I'm really excited about because what we're doing now is you know, this gives an opportunity for women instead of going to jail yeah. to spend time at the beacon, right? And we're increasing our housing um, mm-hmm. housing options or even if they have their own housing and want us to come mobile to them, yeah. if they've got kids involved, we're just expanding the options we have for women yeah. and their families. And so what's going to happen then is, um, you know, they'll work with our program during their pretrial phase. And so then when their court date arrives, mm-hmm. their attorney can say, my client's clean and sober. She's going to counseling. She's working. She's paying rent. She's got her kids. Mm-hmm. Can she continue working with the beacon on probation instead mm. of getting jail time? Yeah, that is amazing because you're not only affecting that number before, I mean, you're not only affecting that number just in general, you're affecting it before it even get impacted. Mm-hmm. Like to, mm-hmm. to get in front of that is very important because you know, the goal is to keep the the mother with her children. That's oh gosh, and always the goal. What happens as soon as you incarcerate someone? Right, they lose their job, their kids, yep. their housing. How do you recover from that if you're already in generational poverty? If you're already in a marginalized community, and you already had so little, and then you lose even that? You. That's how people get on the track to not see that mm-hmm. road of redemption and oh, I can make it through mm-hmm. this um, situation. That's how that starts to crystallize even more. Yeah. And, and I want to be clear, like there are outliers. There are folks who without a whole lot of support are able to find their mm-hmm. path. But mm-hmm. for the majority of folks, it would be like if somebody told me, hey, um, you know, Bill Gates is having a party with a bunch of billionaires on Saturday and he wants mm-hmm. you to go. I'd be like, I have 
I have no idea. I don't know where to find him. Yep. I don't know what kind of transportation I'm supposed to show up in. Yep. I don't know what to wear. I don't know how to talk. I don't know anybody at the party, right? Like that's a world that I have no idea how to navigate. Mm-hmm. I've never been close to it, yep. right? And so we're telling folks who've never been living within middle and upper class circles, mm-hmm. well, just act like you're middle class. Well, yep. I don't know. I don't yep. know. I've never been there. Yeah, no. And we experience a lot of that even through overflow and just serving out in the community. It's like, especially like with our church, like one of the things you met Pastor Ian on today, uh, one of the things we wanted to be big about while bringing people from the community in here is the goal is not to get them to be middle class. The goal is not to force middle class upon them mm-hmm. and expect them to act like that when they walk through these doors. Mm-hmm. Because we know plenty of, plenty of middle class people who struggle yeah. and have mental problems too. So that's not the goal. The goal is to let them be themselves and come alongside of them. Mm-hmm. How can you how can you come mm-hmm. alongside of the individual and not fully take themselves out of them, out of them because I think that's the goal a lot of time when these programs try to help people and stuff like that. But what I'm hearing from the beacon and I've seen and changed course, which is the only other program I've ever worked with, is we really love the individual and people. Like, no, mm-hmm. be that. You can be that person. Here are the tools that yeah. can help you go farther. And I love that. Yeah. You guys are doing that. Um, you gals, should I say, not guys. <laughs> um, so um, before I want to transition to ask you, dang, that was loud. Um, how long has the beacon like been around? So the beacon has been around for 43 years. Mm. And we've been pretty much the same size for the first 41 years, 42 years. Yep. And then here just recently with with expanding into jail diversion. Mm-hmm. And then this week I'm posting we're hiring an associate director. And so we're just starting to like, yeah, we're going to be taking off here. Wow. So That's what happened nonprofits when you get a business-minded person. <laughs> Well, I do run things different, John. So, yeah. so that's you know, okay. I got, you know, there's sort of this old school model of nonprofit where everyone's overworked mm-hmm. and underpaid mm-hmm. oh, and yeah. there's high turnover and everyone's burnt out. And that's just what you expect oh, it to be yeah. like. And I was like, oh no, 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 no. We're going to run this like a business. Yeah. You wouldn't get away with that in the business world. Nope. So <clears throat> in the first six months, I decreased our operating expenses by 20%. And then infuse that into our compensation. So yeah. in the first year, our entry and mid-level staff, their pay increased by 43%. Mm. And so now, you know, when I got there, <clears throat> starting pay was about nine fifty an hour. <clears throat> and now, you know, our starting pay is around $18 an hour. Let's and you go. get 100% medical insurance. Yes. Pay time off, mm-hmm. retirement, you know. Pay- you got to take care of your people. You do. You have to. And, and also emotionally, right? So mm-hmm. creating an environment where people are open, they're transparent, they're authentic. Mm-hmm. You work through tension, yep. right? Sometimes our staff meetings feel more like group therapy, but I'm like, sorry, that's what you get when you have a yeah, therapist this, this, running the show. <laughs> sorry, guys. Welcome to this group therapy <laughs> session. I love it. But but you build that kind of environment. We have almost no turnover now, yeah. right? And yeah. I've got a waiting list of people that want to work at the Beacon. I, I remember you told me that I was that's blown like, away. You can't, that doesn't happen in this industry. It just that's doesn't. A blessing. Yeah. It just no. doesn't. So I'm like, I'm really excited about what we are creating here. And and what how that trickles down, that impacts how our clients are treated. Yep. When they're in an environment where the staff is want functioning to be there. as a team. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because uh, over 70% of Americans today... Over, I think it's like 67, hate their jobs. Mm. They show up to work and are not happy. And like, even as you running this nonprofit, I'm just thinking like, oh, she's running this like a business. Some business owners need to figure this out because <laughs> all they care about is the shareholders, the yep. shareholders. Yep. And when you focus on the people inside and make sure 
they can meet their massive hierarchy of needs. That's right. Um, they take care of other people. And that's how it trickled down. So that's beautiful what you guys got going over there. Well, and I think too, like learning about shared power. So multi-directional accountability. It's not just me holding my staff accountable sure. to our values. They get to hold me accountable too. Yep. And that's led to some hard conversations on my part, right? Like there are ways that I have not led well. And, mm. and it's hard to hear that, right? But it's so important so that you can learn and grow and, and be a better leader. And, and another thing is... um. Pay transparency. So everybody yes. knows how much everybody makes yep. at the yep. beacon. And people feel supported by that these days. Like they feel comfortable mm-hmm. in that space now. Mm-hmm. And you try, the more you try to hide that, the more people yeah. talk about it behind people your gonna, back. They're going to talk about it anyway. They're going to talk about it anyway. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so just any way that we can move toward a more equitable environment, mm-hmm. both for mm-hmm. our staff and our clients. And, you know, there was some nervousness around like, are we going to make it if we start paying people more? And what are our yeah, supporters yeah, yeah. going to think? And if we've taken a stronger stance on, you know, social issues that, mm-hmm. that surround this. And it's like, yeah, we might lose a couple donors or lose a couple board members or lose a couple staff. But but in the end, we're going to build the kind of team, yep. the board, the supporters that are really in line with this mission. Yep. And that's that's where it's at. Yeah, I think, too, it's good to weed people out. Like, not in the sense of like, yeah. oh, let's just give it to everybody. But the seeds who need to be there will be there. Yeah. And yeah. honestly, if, you, if you're not in line with how we do this work, like, I don't want you to... F- Act don't like fake you are. it. No, don't fake no. It. That's what I tell people because I work in the healthcare industry and it's, whew, since uh, I, I, I can't speak to it before COVID, but since COVID, the professionalism and just every aspect. But I tell people straight up, it's better that you leave soon as you know you this not the spot for you. Then just stick mm-hmm. around because at the end of the day, I'm the one who sell the business. I'm the one the building. I'm the one who talk with the families. But you coming here with that nasty attitude and. Looking at my residents this way, that's gonna come back to me. They're calling me. I'm their call guy. Mm-hmm. So don't make my life harder. Just leave right away and let us deal yeah. with it that way. So yeah, that's what I mean by we people. No, I'm I like, know what not, you mean. <laughs> not that, but um, I got a final question for you. Mm-hmm. Law school currently still right. Almost done. Two semesters to go. <laughs> Director of the Beacon. Uh huh. Single mother of four. How do you make time for Melissa and make sure she's okay? <laughs> so for whatever reason, time management comes easily to me. Oh, I need to learn. Something. So no, it's, I know it's you listening. So we struggle with this. I don't even feel like I can take yeah. credit for it, to be honest. It's just, I've just always been this way. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think coming into myself and figuring out who I am and having that whole paradigm shift and really exploring the world and, and how people work. It's like, that's one of the things I've learned about myself is I can capitalize on that. There are some things I have in place that protect me. Self Sundays. I don't leave my house on Sundays. Ooh, it's powerful. I don't. Unless it's like something where I'm like, ooh, I got to be there for, you know, gradu- See, graduation or something. That's supposed you know? to be my Friday and Saturday, not just Friday to sundown to. Yep. Yep. I, I obliterate it. It's tough. But you have to have the stuff done like. Prior. I, yeah, I need the Saturday to run the errands and do all the for things, sure, right? For sure, for sure. And then Sunday is like my preparation for the week. So mm-hmm. then I don't feel behind all week, right? So I'll um, do my like bulk cooking for the week. Mm-hmm, I'll mm-hmm. do my laundry. I'll kind of clean up the house. I'll, I'll enjoy. I really like reading. Um, mm-hmm. It's harder when you're in school because you're already reading <laughs> a lot already. But, you know, reading, I'll get my homework ready for the week. So just kind of get set for the week. Mm-hmm. And I just, I love how you feel one step ahead instead of one step behind mm-hmm. the whole week. And when you wake up on Sunday and you're like, I don't have to shower. I don't have to get dressed. I don't have to get in my car. (laughs) 
it is like such a good feeling like <laughs> do nothing <laughs> I love and it. i'm actually am like doing yeah. like i'm doing work but because i don't have this feeling of like oh but i gotta go i gotta go because yeah. that's what our culture great. is you get you you it's it's awesome that you use those 16 to those 14 to 17 hours that you awake mm-hmm. during the day to recenter yourself like, so that's awesome i don't put my work email on my phone clutch <laughs> i have two phones <laughs> it's the absolute worst i begged my wife for two phones and this was the worst decision of my life mm. but that's a game changer because so if it's an emergency they'll call me right love it mm-hmm. if you really need me after hours you'll call me i don't need to check my email that's true that, no, no, that's yeah. true. That's it's, and it's countercultural too, because, <laughs> because the amount of people that is addicted to their email, I think it's very people wouldn't notice because social media is just like take, taking over. But I think it's very close in numbers to social media. How many people are addicted to their email? Oh yeah, got people that email all day. Like yeah. my boss, and she's gonna see this too. I hope she she will send me an email at eleven o'clock at night, <laughs> and I get to the office the next morning. Like, what are we doing? Like, what were you doing? Like, go to sleep, woman. Oh, but uh, yeah, I, no, that's awesome. I, yeah, I don't I don't work more than forty hours a week, um, and also because I want to model that for my staff. Mm-hmm. So if I'm gonna say, hey, self care, take care of yourself, don't get burnt out, right? Here's the things to do. I need to model that. Um, it's seven thirty. It's no way Georgia supposed to be down there still screaming. No way, um, but uh, this place closes at seven. But um, I said one question left, and I lied. Uh, I'm guilty. Who, and it's gonna be hard. I'm gonna try to nail you down to one. What's the single most person that had the most impact on you? Because the resilience and this ability to conquer and come out of hard crap has to come from somewhere. Has to. So I have been best friends with Lisa Barons for almost 15 years. And I got to be friends with her right before this paradigm shift happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she was walking alongside me. And then um, when everything just fell apart, um, she really stuck with me Mm -hmm. during that time. Mm -hmm. And we both had a lot of questions about what we were in and what was going on and and all of that. And and just wrestled with those questions together. Mm Mm-hmm. So I literally don't think I would have made it without her. Mm. Um, she might come over and, you know, clean up the kitchen or do a load of laundry yeah, or yeah, help yeah. me with my kids or, you know, cause I had four kids nine and under at the time. And, yep. um, <clears throat> but also just to be able to process things. And now, yep. you know, our friendship has changed and grown so much. And it's like, she's the only person I can really talk to that has mm-hmm. <laughs> been through that and knows Ooh. what it looked like inside the home and what it was like after and, and how pieces that fell apart and and so yeah she just she really gets it right and so um yeah I I would say that she has had she she was the first friend in my life that started talking to me about boundaries Mm. prior to her I'd I believed that it was wrong for me to have needs Mm. it was wrong for me to have expectations that everything was about give, give, give. So you was people pleasing to the max. Oh, heck yes. Oh, yes. Mm. Okay. So she came in and said, hey, you know, you can actually say no sometimes. <laughs> I'm getting, sh- I'm melting away right now. Like, <laughs> I think a concept we've been trying to learn is no is a complete sentence. Very mm. hard. And also when you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else. 
Exactly. And oh, I keep bringing up Pastor Ian. He said, because I've been trying to work with that, like saying no to things. And I'm horrible at it. Like I love like giving my time sure. away. And I'm like, okay, Jawan is empty now. Um, sure. If every time you say yes to something that you could have said no to, you say no to other things. Yep. Oh. Mm-hmm. Wow. So when I say no to hanging out with friends on Sundays. Yep. Or scheduling an appointment or a meeting or something on a Sunday. Like if, if yeah, I yeah. say no to that, I'm saying yes to that day of self-care that I know mm. I need. Mm. That's good. That's really good. Um, yeah, I'm so glad I asked <laughs> you that. I, I needed that. I learned <laughs> it from that. Um, how can people get involved with the Beacon? How, where mm. can people find you guys? Are you on every social media outlet? Oh, yeah. We're yeah. So, yeah, www.thebeaconDM, as in Des Moines, mm-hmm. .org is our website. You can learn tons of stuff there. Um, we've got a page for if you're interested in volunteering, mm. if you if you want to apply to stay there, yep. um, if you want to donate, there's a place to do that, or if you want to Love get our, our monthly newsletter. Um, Cake Gala is our annual fundraiser, October 20th. We're participating in that. Woo! All right. And uh, yeah, so lots of ways to get involved and learn more. So love it. And these links to their Facebook. I know you you was adamant about the Facebook account. I remember you saying that in their website. This all be posted in the description below. If you know somebody who can just use this resource, reach out. Get and learn more and also volunteers. We need more of those. We need Mm -hmm. more volunteers and donors. So if you're looking to help out at the beacon, you know, this will be an easy way to access and step in. Did you have any last final closing marks before we got off of here? And I appreciate your time again before I let you. Mm-hmm. I've been watching Ted Lasso with my boys because it does a really good job of deconstructing toxic masculinity in a very thoughtful and mm-hmm. not cheesy way. And his quote from our episode last night was, be curious, not judgmental. Mm. All right, everybody, you have it. That wraps up another episode of the Minds with Our King podcast. Melissa, it's always a pleasure speaking with you, ma'am. Um, continue to change the world. Continue to do your best. And I'm waiting on you to get out of law school so you can have some more free time to yourself. <laughs> so I'm super encouraged by you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Peace. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Minds with Akeem podcast with Melissa Vine from The Beacon. If you found this information, she shared um, her story. If you found that encouraging, inspiring, share this episode with a friend or someone that would like to yeah, grow. If you know anybody who can be linked with The Beacon as far as volunteer or donators or obviously joining the program, this is a good source. Get in touch with us or get in touch with Melissa information will be listed below for you guys can join the cause until next time my friends peace